If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I do not have faith so as to remove mountains, but I have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. This morning we learned of a church, a marvelous church, really a, a, a mighty church, an influential church, a, a church that had done all of the right things, a church that, that had done very well, but of a church that the Bible said had lost not only its love, but its first love. Be very sure tonight, the first love of the church, the first love of the believer, the first love of those that are saved through the cross of Calvary is Jesus Christ himself. He is our first love. Well, tonight here is our question. And really, it's, it's going to be two parts to the question. The question for tonight is this. What do we do if we have left our first love? We hear the verses this morning. We hear the, the condemnation there on the, on the church. They've left their first love. What do we do if our love for Christ has waned? What do we do if that is, is, if that is speaking of us? What if Christ is referring to us there? What if, what if our first love, Christ, is calling to us in those verses? What do we do if that is speaking to us? That's the first part of the question. What do we do if it is referring to us who have lost our first love? Second question is this. How do we keep that from happening? If we are not there, if that's not referring to us, how do we keep the causes of the world? How do we keep the cares and the lures of the world? How do we keep the passing of time from leading us away from our first love? Tonight we're going to go back and we're going to look at those verses in Revelation. Tonight we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Our message tonight is entitled, The Remedy for a Lost Love. The Remedy for a lost love. If we've lost our first love, what is our remedy? How do we keep that happen if that's not where we find ourselves tonight? The remedy for lost love. Revelation chapter 2, tonight verses 4 and 5. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Jesus is speaking. He says this. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Verse five, therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, tonight we come, we're thankful for you. We're thankful again for the, the truth of your word that leads us, that, that guides us, that convicts us. We're thankful for the institution of the church, your institution. We're thankful that it's led by Christ, our Savior himself. We're thankful that you're intimately involved in it, that you're participating in, in the movement of the church. And then I pray that we as a church, as we move through this study, that we would be so instructed that to the glory of our Savior, we would be the church that you've intended for us to be. I pray tonight for us as individuals, those tonight that have come to hear this truth, I pray that we would be taught tonight. I, I pray that we would be changed tonight in the hearing of the truth of God's word. 
Lord, we love you. We praise you. We truly do worship you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, again, and I remember as we start, remember this church, they had done all of the right things. They had done really big, big things. And as you look at a, a, a survey of a church, the, the life and the history of a church, this church had done all the right things. Jesus himself says they had worked, they had served the cause of Jesus Christ. They were a faithful church. They had put the effort in. They had served the cause of Jesus Christ. They had worked. We also see from Christ they had persevered. We saw this morning they had accepted the pain and had accepted the suffering, and not only that, they had stood under it. They had persevered as his church. Jesus saw that. Jesus had concern for that. He, he brags on them. They had persevered as a church. Not only that, this church in the midst of this city, this city that, that was very diverse, they had stood and they had called sin Sin, they haven't wavered in that. They had called what was sin, sin. They had upheld the truth. Not only that, we see from this morning, they had upheld the truth of God's word. They had called out the false teachers. It says some had called, come and they had called themselves apostles, claiming to have, have spoken and to be speaking from God. They had called them false. They had called their teachings false. Not only that, the Bible says they hated the deeds of their falseness. You see, improper action comes from improper belief. And so when they enter in with their false teaching, these false deeds spring up. And they hated their false deeds. It says, as did Jesus. He hated them as well. And so understand, this church had done big things. They had stood. They had endured. They'd called sin, sin. They'd upheld the doctrine of God's word. They'd pointed out the faults. This was an awesome church. This was a mighty church. And then we have verse four. But I have this against you. Jesus himself says, but I have this against you. The, the, the word for against here, the Greek word for against means down on you. Could, be, could mean charge to you, but it really means this, I have this down on you. And he says that they had left, again, they had gone away from their first love. Jesus says, but I have this against you. You've done mighty things. You've done great things, but I have this against you. I have this down on you. You have left the love that you started with. It's important to see that, their first love, the love that they started with. I watch people, and usually as I watch people, two things are happening, and I believe tonight that I can tell you this holds true. As I, as I watch people, two things are happening. One potential thing is this, they're growing in their love for Christ. And I'll just tell you, that is a fun thing to watch. That's an awesome thing to see. I, I can watch folks, and they have, they have learned of Jesus Christ, and they actually began to see Jesus Christ. You see, there's a difference in just knowing of him and actually seeing him. And they begin to see Jesus Christ for who he is, and they're growing in their love for Jesus Christ, and they want to talk about it. 
They, they want to sing about it. You watch the service and they're, they're smiling and they're singing the songs. They can't wait to be in the fellowship of the church. It's, it's not drudgery. It's not a duty. They, they can't wait to assemble in the church and to hear the word of God and then to, to talk about the word of God. They're reading their Bibles. I had a friend one night. He'd made a decision for Christ. He was, he was 42 years old when he made his decision for Christ. And he got his, he got his Bible from, from our church when he had been baptized. And he didn't know any better. He just started reading his Bible. He thought, you know what? We'll, I, I want to know what God has said. I want to know who Christ is. And so, so he started reading in the New Testament. He was reading in the book of John. And no joke, he called my house one night and he called my phone at 11 o'clock and he said, Toby, what is a synergy? And I go, I don't understand what you're saying. What's well, a synagogue? And I don't understand what you're saying. Come to find out he was talking about a synagogue. What is a synagogue? And I tell him, well, here's what the synagogue is. And he says, well, that's good. Let me, let me ask you this. These, these guys show up a lot. What is a farcer? Who? A Pharisee. Uh, what are you talking about? I look it up. It's, he's talking about a Pharisee. What is a, what is a Pharisee? And this guy at 11 o'clock at night was reading the word of God and he wanted to know what significance the synagogue had and, and who is a Pharisee and, and what role do they play? Listen, they are excited and they're growing in their love for Jesus Christ. That is one type of person. The other is this. They are fading in their love for Jesus Christ, which means this. Maybe they've become distracted in life. Maybe the other priorities of life have pushed in or maybe they've, they've become so busy or, or maybe the, the hurts and the concerns and the, the real duties of life have become too much. Maybe the lures of the world, which are always there. Let me tell you, the lures of the world aren't going away. I don't care how long you've been a follower of, of Jesus Christ. The, the lures of the world always rear up and something always looks attractive and something always looks better and more comfortable. Maybe the, the lures of the world spring back up. Or maybe the cost is too great. You know what? I've weighed the cost and I've walked this for a little bit and I can see what, what changes are brewing and I can see what this is starting to cost me and, and maybe the cost is too great. Or maybe it's just sin. They're in sin and they've gone back to sin and they're enjoying their sin. Maybe it's, maybe it's sin in their life. Maybe it's a combination of these things but where the love for Christ was once real, it is now fading in their life. I believe this. I believe there's no middle ground. Maybe, maybe we go through cycles, and I believe we do, but I believe there's no middle ground. I believe you're either growing in your love for Jesus Christ or you're fading in your love for Jesus Christ. I don't think you sit still. In fact, I think you're sitting still, most likely you're gonna decline. I think those two things are either happening in the life of a believer. You're either growing in your love for Christ and it's bigger today than it was yesterday and it's bigger tonight than it was this morning or you are fading, declining in your love for Jesus Christ. Verse four, Jesus says, I am down on you. I have this against you. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? I am against, have this against you. You have left your first love. Here's the question. If I could have preached two hours this morning, I would have covered it this morning. I couldn't do that. How do we keep that from happening? Or maybe bigger is this. What do we do if it is happening? 
What, what do we do if that is our story? What if we do if that is happening? And so tonight from, from these two verses, I want to show you three steps that we can embrace if that is happening or how we can, or we can embrace these steps to keep that from happening. Three steps. The first is this, remember. Second is repent. And the third is to return. Remember, if you want to prevent this from happening, if you're finding yourself there tonight, these three steps, you do these three things. You remember, you repent, and you return. Let's look at verse five. Therefore, Jesus is speaking. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, the first thing I want you to see as we, as we hit verse five is this. Now, I, I talked about it a little bit this morning, but the first is this. This is no small deal. This is no insignificant thing that is occurring. Christ says here, in fact, if this is not remedied, I am coming and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, remember from last week, we found that the, the lampstand is the church. It is specifically designed and specifically placed to shine as much light as it can. It's the instrument of God. It is a, a supernatural creation of God to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lampstand is the church, and Jesus says this, I myself will come, and I will remove it. A church that doesn't love Christ is nothing that Jesus is going to accept. Well, they're doing all the right things. Well, they've got four out of five right. They've got five out of six right. Look at the good that they're doing. A church that doesn't love Christ is nothing that he'll overlook. And let me just tell you, a church that, that, that doesn't love Jesus Christ first and a, and a church that doesn't love Christ foremost, and if that love is not real in that church, and if it's not now, you see it can't be a love from the past, if that love is not now, that church, according to Jesus himself, cannot stand. And he himself says, I'll remove that church. You ever drive through cities and see the shells of churches? You can do it in Vernon too. You ever drive through cities and you're, maybe you're going on vacation you drive through the, the old downtown area or drive through the edge of town as the, as the highway goes by, you look over and you see the shells of churches. I hear in London that they're, they're all over the city there. Can you ever picture what 50 years ago may have looked like at that church? Maybe it was Easter Sunday morning and everybody's dressed up and it's springtime and the flowers are out and maybe little girls had their white gloves on and people had their hats on and they, they were smiling and they laughing and they poured into that church. Or maybe it was a baptismal service and folks had put their faith in Christ and, and they celebrated and they sang, shall we gather at the river? And they celebrated baptisms in that church. Or maybe it was wintertime and there was snow on the ground and, and families held hands and went into the church. Now the church is silent. It's cold and it's empty. I wonder, as I see that picture, what the problem was. It's a, it's a fad now to open restaurants in those shells of churches. It's a fad to open wineries in those, those churches to turn it and put a neon sign and make it something of the world. 
I wonder what the problem in that church was. I wonder if the problem was they lost their love for Jesus Christ. And I wonder if Jesus says, you know what, that's enough. He took away their lampstand. It is a big deal for a people to love, to leave their love for Jesus Christ. It is a big deal. It cannot stand in the church. Listen, it can't stand in your life as well. So what to do if this is you? What to do to keep it from also being you? What do you do to keep this from happening? What do you do if this is the position you find yourself in tonight? First is this, remember. Pretty pretty awesome how this verse fits together. Remember, Jesus says here, verse five, therefore remember from where you have fallen. Now, I want you to see, it's very important that the details of the words here. Jesus says there, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. It says, remember the heights from where you've fallen. Remember when you were first saved? Remember when you first understood your salvation, you understood that, that your sin had been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Remember when the, the vileness of your sin was still fresh in your vision, the ugliness of your sin was in your vision and you were sick and you were grieved over your sin and then you understood he carried it away having nailed it to the cross of Calvary. Remember when you were excited about the forgiveness of your sin? Remember when all of a sudden you could breathe again? You walked in life and you walked in forgiveness and you had peace with God. Remember his grace, oh, his grace, how tremendous his grace that's been shown to us. Remember his mercy, I don't deserve this, no way. Remember his mercy that's shown to us. Remember his tremendous love. He says, remember the heights from which you've fallen. One of my favorite pictures in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 15. You knew it would probably be in Luke. One of my favorite pictures in Luke 15, the prodigal son. Son had rebelled. The son had disgraced his dad, his name. The son had disgraced himself. And the son in his present condition was ruined. He had no hope. And that's how we find the son. Remember the story there in Luke chapter 15. It says every day this dad is out and he's looking at the horizon. Every day this dad who's been, who's been rejected, who's been rebelled against, who his own son has slandered his name, this dad, he looks to the horizon. And he looks for that son and he looks there in the distance and he looks for that son and he works and his heart is broken and the sun goes up and the sun comes down and a month passes and another month passes and a season passes and his son is gone and he looks at the horizon. And remember the picture there in Luke 15, one day he sees a dot and it comes over the horizon and it's winding down the road and he looks, maybe it's somebody else bringing the good, maybe it's somebody else looking for a job, but he recognizes the gate of the sun. He recognizes, hey, maybe that's my son and his, his heart leaps up. Maybe, maybe that's his son and his heart and his, his spirit picks up and then he sees him and he gets closer and he gets closer. Hey, that's my son. And the Bible says he takes up his robe and he girds it into his belt 
And there he takes his tool and he drops it in the dust that he's been working in day after day and he begins to run to the sun. He doesn't wait for him to get there and he runs to the sun. My son, my son, oh my son is home. His flesh and blood and he restores him and he forgives him and he embraces him. Can you imagine the joy of that day? What does that day look like two years later? Back out in the field. What does that day look like ten years later? Becomes commonplace maybe. What does that day look like 40 years later? Maybe the dad has passed on. Remember the heights, the high spots from which you've fallen. Psalm 51, King David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It wasn't his, it was God's salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Listen to this today. We have to get to remembering. We can't get too far gone. We can't get too far down the road of life that we do not remember the heights from which we fall in the high spot when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the blessing of God's grace shown to us as sinners. Let me tell you this. Tonight on your way home, maybe tonight when you get home, maybe you're a parent or a grandparent or somebody else Maybe tonight you ought to tell somebody the story of how you were saved. Maybe you ought, to, you ought to tell somebody, maybe you ought to ask them, tell your kids, tell me about the day you were saved. Maybe if there's nobody at your house now, maybe you write a letter tonight. Let me tell you the story of, of the grace that God has shown me as a sinner. Let me tell you the excitement of what it was to see Christ for the first time. You mail it to somebody else. First thing Jesus says is this. You want to have a love for him, you remember the heights. You remember from whence you have fallen. Second thing is this. Second thing is this. To have that type of love for Jesus Christ, repent. Repent. Let me look at verse 5 again. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent, it says. And do the deeds you did at first and repent. The last of the verse says, I'm going to remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, let me tell you, this is, this is a huge thing. This is a misunderstood concept today. It's not only when you were saved. It's not only for a certain people, not only for the Jews. I've heard that. Repent means this. Now, we talked about this morning in our message. It means to turn. It means a changing of your mind. And so you turn, or really my, it's a changing in my mind. My mind thought this, my mind was headed in this direction, and I have a turning, a changing of my mind. It really means that the most literal translation is a change of the inner man. And so it's, it's who you are at your core. The, the inner man of a person repents, has a change, and turns. Now there's more to it than that. I found this, that in the original language, it doesn't just mean to generically turn. It means to turn to what is better. Now, I want you to try to understand that. Stay with me for just a second. It doesn't mean just to turn, repent, turn, repent, turn. It doesn't mean a generic turning. It means to turn to what is better. 
Now, you can't turn from what is good and repent and turn to what is bad. That's not the understanding. So you're not over here with something good and repent and go in the other direction towards something that is bad. Repent, in this sense, always has a positive outcome, always has a positive understanding. You change your mind and you turn. You have an interchange of the inner man and you turn to what is better. That's what it means to repent. You turn from what is worse and you turn to what is better. Listen to me tonight. Hear this. The Christian life is one of continual repentance. Continual turning. You see, it's not a one-time when you're saved turning. It's not when you're, when you're bad and when you're caught in your sin, oh, I need to repent. It's not that. No, it is the essence of Christian life. Listen, we lead a life of repentance. Be very sure tonight. As Christians, we are to always be turning. Listen to this. As Christians, we're always turning away from sin. As Christians, we're always turning away from the world. As Christians, we're always turning away from the desires of the flesh. We're turning away from what is worse, and as Christians, we're turning to Jesus Christ. Friends, I hope you understand this tonight. As a Christian, we can't repent enough. How often do you sin? How often are you drawn to sin? How often do the things of the world seem attractive to you? Listen, in all of those situations, we have to repent. The inner man has to turn from what is worse and turn to Jesus Christ. Listen, the things of the world have sprung up and they look attractive and they look more comfortable and I'm pretty sure I can reconcile them. I need to repent and turn back to Jesus Christ. We are to continually change the inner man, where to continually be turning to Christ, repentance is the essence of Christian life. We're saved in repentance, and as Christians, we live in repentance. You see, if, we, if we're not constantly turning back to Christ, it's hard to love Christ. If we're content to head into sin if we're content to look at the, the lures of the world and to, to, to try to mess around with those, listen, it's hard to love Jesus Christ. As a Christian, the essence of our life is to continually turn from what is worse to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you've left your first love, repent. So the question then becomes this. So how do we do that? It says this, remember the heights Repent, turn to Christ. How do you do that? He actually tells us. Pretty awesome how it comes out of this verse. You return. You return. Listen to verse five again. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Here we go. And do the deeds which you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place Unless you repent, you do the deeds you did at first. You do what you first did. That's what it's saying here. The, the word here for deeds, in the Greek it's the word ergon, and it means this, the works. 
It means this, and I think it gets better with each of these translations. It means the actions. And then it means this in its most literal sense, the behaviors. One, one translation put all those together and said the things that once occupied you. You did these things, the actions you did, the, the behaviors you did. You returned to the deeds, the actions, the things that once occupied you. You go back to the things, the actions, the behaviors that you did at first. Now, what are those actions? Can we know that? What are we to do to keep our love for Christ from waning. What do we do if we're sitting here tonight and our love for Christ has waned? What are those actions? What do they do at the first? Now, there's a whole bunch of answers to that. People say, well, it's, they had to get back to witnessing. Well, they had to get back to loving each other in the church. And there's a whole bunch of different answers for, for that question. I believe it's a lot simpler than that. See, most of those are guesses. I believe you want to know what they did at first. You ought to go to the account of what they did at first, the book of Acts. What did the church do at first? What were they doing at first? The, the start of the church in Ephesus is recorded there in the book of Acts. If you want to know the deeds, the things, the behaviors they did at the first, it's going to come from the context. Go and read the book of the things that they did at the first. And so I've pulled out three things that they did at the first. You know what? We need to remember the heights from which we've fallen. We need to repent continually and turn from what is worse and turn to Jesus Christ. And then we need to do these things, the things, the deeds, the works, the behaviors that they did at first. Here's what I take out of the book of Acts. First thing is this. They prayed. Read the book of Acts. It says one of the main ministries of the church is the ministry of prayer. They wanted the apostles to be able to devote their time to leading the ministry of prayer. Prayer was a big thing individually, but also corporately in the church. They were devoted to prayer. The Bible tells us that the, in Acts chapter 20, verse 36, that as Paul begins to leave the church at Ephesus, that he kneels down with those people. They follow him out of town. It says he kneels down and he prays with those people. Listen, they spent their time in prayer. They practiced the practice of prayer. When your prayer time becomes, let me tell you, infrequent or less important or maybe this, less real and more ritual, you're going to fade in your love for Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just tell you, that's the biblical truth. If, if your prayer time becomes something that you can miss, it becomes something less important to you, or maybe it's something you do, but you do it out of ritual, you do it at these certain times and you repeat the same words, listen to me, if that is the truth of your prayer life, your love for Jesus Christ will wane. You have to commit to prayer. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, the ministry of the word. It's also listed as one of the main ministries of the, of the church. The, the apostles were to commit their time to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. Listen, when you read the book of Acts, go back and read it. Read the 18th, 19th, 20th chapter, the, the chapter of what's going on in the church at Ephesus. They are listening to the word of God. 
They are growing in their knowledge of the word of God. They are learning, they are studying the word of God. It's what they did in the early church. Oh, that you would tell us the word of God, that you would teach us, that you would explain to us the word of God. In the church, they were consumed with the word of God. Listen to Paul's testimony. This is the church in Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, beginning in the 18th verse. It says this, And when they had come to him, Paul, he said to them, listen to this testimony, You yourselves know that from the first day I, the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. What was he doing? Serving the Lord with all humility with tears and with trials which came upon through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly, publicly and from house to house. He says, I didn't shrink back. I did it in the public. I did it house to house. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks, listen, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Be sure of this tonight. You will not grow in your love for Jesus Christ if you're not consistently in the word of God. Your love for Jesus Christ will wane as does your commitment to spend time in the word of God. It is that plain. You can't expect one and not have the other one. You wonder how you got where you're at sometimes? What does your time spent in God's word look like? You're hearing it. You're studying it. You're understanding it. You're memorizing it. Your love for Christ will grow, I promise you, as you endeavor to do that. Third thing they did is this. They prayed. They endeavored into the word of God. They committed to it. And the third thing they did is this. They worshiped. They worshiped. Now, how how big of a deal is that? I hear this all the time, probably from lost people, but I hear this all the time. You know, I don't have to worship in the church. You know, I don't have to worship there. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. And how big of a, how big of a deal is actual worship? Go back and, and again read the book of Acts. They are consistently found in worship. They are found in worship in the jail. They're found in worship in in the courtyard. They're found in worship in the house. They're found in worship in the inner room. They're found in worship as a private citizen. They're found in worship as a collective group. They spend time and they're praying and their prayer is a worship. They spend time and they're studying the word of God and it's an act of worship. They take up offerings for folks in Jerusalem and it's it's a time of worship as they collect it. They remember what God has done. They want to go out and tell people about Christ and all of it is an act of worship. They meet on the first day of the week, the Lord's day. They assemble, they come together to worship God and to do it together. Be sure of this. Coming to church and assembling, those are not the same thing. That's not the same thing as worshiping. Worshiping is our individual response to Christ. And corporate worship is when we do it together. That's what true worship is. It's my response to Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you this. I, maybe I'm getting old and I think maybe I've gone crazy. 
I can't hardly read the Bible anymore and not cry. I can't hardly hear certain songs anymore and not cry. And I want to tell you, the more I worship, the more I want to worship, the more I'm drawn to worship, the more I think about my Savior, Jesus Christ, the more I think about what he did for me, the more it wells up inside of me, and I want to worship him, and then I want to come here, and together I want your heart to be like my heart, and I want our hearts to worship him together. Notice this. I think it's pretty interesting. He doesn't say, feel the feelings you once felt. He doesn't say, experience the experiences you once experienced. You see, we're living in a day when we think worship is chasing experiences and chasing feelings. He says, no, do the deeds that you once did. Quit chasing an experience. Quit chasing a feeling. Do the deeds that you once did. If you want to have a vibrant love for Jesus Christ, if you want your love for Jesus Christ to grow, you're going to have to do work in prayer. You're going to have to spend time in prayer. You're going to have to pray with your wife and with your kids and with your church and by yourself when you drive and with the church when we've assembled. You're going to have to do the work of prayer. You're going to have to endeavor into God's word and it's going to be inconvenient and you're going to say, I don't understand it, but you're going to have to say, I want to hear from God today and spend time in his word and then your heart is going to swell up and you're going to have to come and worship. Once again, it's our individual response. And the best church couldn't inspire it. And the best slate of pastors couldn't provoke it. And it was their heart's individual response. I've thought about that and I've thought about that and I've thought about that. What could a church do to inspire people to love Christ? I know we, we pray, we preach, we teach, we uphold the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, what could a preacher do to inspire people to love Jesus Christ? You know what? It's still individual. That's the deal. And the truth of it is this. Who Jesus is has to outweigh everything else. When will you have a, a burning love for Jesus Christ? When will it grow because you spend time in his word, it's time in prayer, and time in worship? It's when who Jesus is to you outweighs everything else. And it's your choice. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. Would we? Would you? Your love for Jesus Christ has to surpass everything else. And it's your choice, my choice. Remember the heights. Repent, continually turn to Christ and do the deeds which you once did. And I promise you, your love for Jesus Christ will be unmatched. Will be like it's never been. I, I think about the day of salvation when it's so far ago. I was in fourth grade, fifth grade, fourth grade. 
You know what, I, I, I think now the, the things I've done, the things I've seen, the grace of God that's been poured out upon me, the mercy he's shown me, you know what, I love my Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, repent, return. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight and I am so thankful. And I am so glad that you are the father of Luke 15. And though we turn and though we rebel and though we enter into sin, though we go back, though the lures of the world seem better, though we think we're smarter, that you receive us back in great grace and you restore us as if we never left. As fast as we repent and we confess that you're righteous and you're faithful and you forgive us. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, you remove our sins from us. And I pray tonight as a sinful slate of people, a people condemned in our own sin, awaiting the penalty of hell and the turmoil of a life waiting on it, that in the great grace and love of a merciful God, we have a Savior. Lord, I pray that tonight our love for you rings out. I pray that we would exalt you with our mouth. I pray as we sing this next song that our, that our hearts would echo up to the, the, the portals of heaven, Lord, that you'd truly be worshipped. Lord, forgive us where we have failed. Forgive us where we've, we've, we've let our love wane. Forgive us where we've dropped the things we once did where we failed to remember the heights from which we've fallen. I pray for us here tonight. I believe you brought us each here. I pray that you... Convict us, yes. And more than that, I pray that you restore us and you establish us. And we walk out of here in the praise for our Savior, Jesus, raises up. But more than that, the love for our Savior, Jesus, consumes our heart. Lord, we love you and we worship you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.